Halfway to Greatness is not self-serving power grabbing, lording it over others, exercising authority. Some of you I know are in leaderships in churches, leadership positions. And I say, be mindful of who your real leader is and lead like he led. Whoever wishes to be great shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He comes back to it. He's right back to the cross. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 20 titled, A Ransom for Many. I invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are just as secure as the Apostle Paul. You are just as saved as the Apostle Paul. And there will be no strutting in heaven, no boasting in heaven. Why is that? Because uh, we're not saved by anything that we can do. We're saved by what God did. Our standing is, and that's why the Bible, by the way, mentions often in Christ, in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are going to church. No, it doesn't say that. For those who are keeping their life fairly clean of this and that. No, those will be true of a Christian. We will want to gather and worship on the first day of the week. We will. Our life does change. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I know in a group this size, someone today is thinking and dealing with condemnation. And I'm telling you, if your faith is in Christ, you can turn to God and know that you stand before him blameless in Christ. Well, God's pecking order uh, might not be quite like we expect. And Jesus introduced the parable and closed the parable with that verse. Verse 16, we left off, verse 20 of chapter 20. Thus the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. I, uh, you know, Peter (laughs) had asked the question that kind of triggered all this. Look back at 1927. Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Peter had three years with the Lord. He'd had intense training. I still don't think he got it, really. And actually, I don't think James and John did either. And they were the three what? Closest, Peter, James, and John. Because we're going to see their response in just a minute. And uh, I doubt, quite frankly, if any one of us really gets it the way we should. But uh, Peter was kind of concerned about, well, we've left a lot for you, Lord. And James and John were worrying about their, what seat, what pecking order they'd have in the kingdom. And uh, how is it that we're all, let me ask that question before we get into this, because we left off with that parable. How is it that we are all equally saved? You're either saved or not. And how is it that we could say, You have equal standing with the Apostle Paul. When you look around and you see there's such a wide divergence of devotion and service and ability and love for Christ, even among Christians, I reiterate it. That question is answered by the fact that we're not saved 
by our devotion or our abilities or our service or even our love for Christ. Uh, I'm humbled by the love for Christ some believers have. It dwarfs mine. I just see them just in love with Christ. And I aspire to that. I say, Lord, keep me fervent in my love. Don't ever let me lose my first love. And I want to grow in my love for him. But I'm telling you, I'm not saved by my faith in him or my love for him. I'm saved by the object of my faith, Jesus himself. And so we are saved, verse 17, by what Christ did for us. And so after telling the parable, look what he says, verse 17. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. From Mark's account, we know that there was a large group following him. But he took the disciples, the 12, apart by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him up to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. This is what God had to do to save you and me. This is the third announcement now in Matthew of the cross, the third formal and very clear announcement of the cross. Uh, back in chapter 16, after Peter confessed him, listen to this, you don't need to turn there, but it's just a couple chapters back, but it was during this time was he's headed for this long period of time when he started in the north and heads down to Jerusalem. And he took the 12 aside, remember, and asked, who are people saying that I am? And people were saying, ah, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. People were saying all kinds of things about Jesus then. But Peter, he asked him, he asked the 12, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. And as soon as he confessed who Jesus really was, the son of the living God, from that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter, you remember his response? He took him aside and said, no, that can't be, Lord. Let me explain. And he said, and Jesus had to rebuke Peter. Peter's response was a little bit inadequate. Chapter 17, glance at this one, verse 22. While they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised up again on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. The first time he announced it, Peter said, may it never be, God forbid. The second time, they were deeply grieved. This third time... We haven't got to it yet, but you'll see what their response was. Their response, they just weren't really uh, fully grasping some things. But I want to underline that uh, Jesus said all this was foretold. In the parallel account in Luke 18, he underlines that this was foretold and that he 
was going to die just like the scripture said and be mocked and scourged. And look at verse 19 here, crucified. Jesus was not a misguided zealot. He was not a misunderstood man, if you will. No, he said, all things which are written about me must be fulfilled. And uh, he stated it clearly. And Luke writes in his account, the disciples didn't really get it. They said, let me just read it to you. Luke 18, here's their response to this very time. It's, they understood none of these things. And the saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Today, if you glory in the cross, if you boast in the cross, if you rejoice in what God did for you on the cross, you can be sure that God is at work in your heart and life and has opened your eyes because uh, we, by nature, we just don't get it. Today, for instance, think about it. Secularists, they could care less about this story, really. And they just let it be. Religionists, often religious people just see it as, as a tragedy and kind of, at best, maybe an example. We should all be sacrificial in our life. And humanists uh, see him as a martyr and a tragic martyr at that. The multitudes, we're told in Mark, were amazed and fearful as he took the 12 aside and told them. But you see, we're not saved by being amazed or fearful or just kind of respectful of it. We're saved by laying hold of what Jesus Christ did by faith. And notice verse 19, he doesn't leave it at the cross. He says he's going to be delivered up, he'll be mocked, scourged, and crucified. And I read that out loud this morning to my wife. Uh, she came down and I'd been mulling this passage over. And I said, let me read before it's our habit to pray together. And I read it and just reading it out loud to crucify him, to think that he knew this is where he was going. He knew he was going to the cross where he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It just hit me as I read it out loud. Well, on the third day, he will be raised up. Every time Jesus spoke of the cross, he spoke of the resurrection. These announcements, he never just says, I'm going to die. He always says, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. The resurrection is integral to who Christ is and what he did. He isn't a martyr. He laid his life down for us, and he took it up again. And he's a victor. Uh, but as I say, I don't think they got it. I'm not sure we do fully by any means. But let's watch their response because that's what the Bible writes for us. Verse 20, right after he said this, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, as James and John, came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. Well, what will she ask after Jesus has just announced this? And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. Wow. This is a shocking request at this juncture. 
Command that my two boys will get the places of honor, one on your right and one on your left. It just, it's jarring almost. Unless you've watched human nature. (laughs) And unless you've read other portions of scripture, this is often the case. Uh, Turn over to Luke 9 just for a moment. Luke 9, when Jesus uh, came down from the mountain and made this announcement, Luke 9, verse 43. He had just healed this boy, and verse 43, they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. And an argument arose among them as to which one of them might be the greatest. How perverse is this? When Jesus is talking about laying his life down, people, good people, are busy debating who's the greatest. That kind of pride is just so much a part of our nature that you'll find it even among religious people, even among Christian leaders. And I just say it's, it's sobering. And every page of the Bible kind of reminds us of God's grace and man's sinfulness. Well, it's a shocking request, this mom coming up and saying, hey, I just have one request. He says, what do you wish? I'd like my boys to sit next to you, you know, have the positions of authority, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, you know, that's what I want for my boys. And Jesus answered, verse 22, and said, you don't know what you're asking for. It was not only a shocking request, it was an ignorant request. (laughs) It really was. She didn't know what she was asking for. Then he said this, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. Wow. You know, I, uh, I spent four years in Salt Lake City. And as you might guess, Salt Lake City, it wasn't easy in those days. This was a long time ago. Uh, I think the church of the real church of Christ is healthier. I think there's healthier churches there now. But it was hard to find a good church. But I was involved in a, the best church I could find because that place is permeated by a cult. But uh, I remember one of the things, that it was a weak church we were in in the sense that the teaching was not as strong as I would have liked. And one of the favorite songs they always wanted to sing, and we sang it, more often than I wanted to, I'll tell you that, uh, was this hymn, is an old hymn that kind of took these words and said, are you able, said the master, you know, are you able, would be the music asking, and then the, the refrain would be, and every, the congregation would sing with gusto, yes, we are able, and I always thought, oh man, I don't think so. You know, it was kind of like if you wrote a hymn out of Peter saying, Lord, I would never deny you. And the music would just come to a crescendo, you know, and everybody's saying, yes, we're able. And I just kind of wince every time we sang it. But I was a good boy. I never complained. Don't you complain about the music, but I'm just sitting. It didn't hurt me to sing it, but uh, I don't think it's a good song, (laughs) quite frankly. Yes, we're able, they said. Well, 
I think Jesus is talking about, are you able to, you know, you want to send the right and left of my, do you know what you're asking? I just told you I'm going to be crucified. Yeah, we're able. He said to them, verse 23, my cup you shall drink. Actually, you know, James, James and John, their mom was asking this. James is going to be the first one martyred. He'll get his head cut off by Herod. And when Herod found that that was politically popular, that these polls went up, he arrested Her- uh, Peter, remember? This is all in Acts 12. So yeah, God can give us the grace to actually die for him. And James did. And John died in exile in Patmos after having been tortured. So he said, you know, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right hand or my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Uh, This matter of order in the kingdom and best seats and pecking order in the kingdom, which I just told you the parable about. He said, that's not really something, it's, it's up to the Lord. It's up to my Father, my sovereign Father. And hearing this, verse 24, the ten, you know, the non-James and John, Peter and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, the ten became indignant at the two brothers. How could you ask such a thing anyway? You know, and I don't think it was righteous indignation. I think it was kind of that jealous, self-seeking, same-hearted indignation that James and John were involved in. The disciples don't come off as heroes here. You know, they really don't. But Jesus called them to himself, verse 25, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave." They're occupied. Peter comes to him, first of all, saying, Hey, Lord, we've left everything for you. What's in it for us? You know, and Jesus tells this parable. And then James and John have their mother come and say, Hey, how about my boys? What kind of seat are they going to get? One thing I want. And Jesus says, You guys, let me tell you about real greatness and real service. And verse 25 through 27 contrast. There's a huge difference between the way Portland thinks of greatness, the way America in 2017 thinks of greatness, and the way God thinks of greatness. He says, you know, the rulers of the world, the rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, and there's a bluster and a confidence, self-confidence to the greatness of this world. It's not so. Underline that, verse 26. It is not so among you. We're to be different. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. The first thing will be last, the last will be first. Let me explain it to you, he says. I'm coming and I'm laying my life down. Those who follow me are to be humble servants because the Son of Man, verse 28, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Greatness 
in God's eyes is not self-serving power grabs. Hey, mom, see if you can get us the best seats kind of a thing. Nor is it the jealousy and the indignation, and I think it was a false indignation, a selfish indignation, of the rest of the ten when they said, ah, oh, they were indignant at the James and John for trying to get the best seats, you know. He says, greatness is not that. But I'm telling you, we're prone to it, aren't we? We worry about who gets the pecking order, even in things of the Lord sometimes. Nor is it for those who, notice verse 25, lord it over others. Again, that's business as usual. You get some power and you use it in the business world, in the political world, wherever it is. That's the way man works, but not the way we're to be. It is not so among you. Peter specifically tells pastors in 1 Peter 5, don't lord it over those allotted to your charge. They're Christ's sheep. He bought them with his blood. And everyone who serves, and if you have leadership, and I hope you do, God ordained that we should have leadership within the church. But when, when we're leaders, we need to be so mindful that we're leading those whom Christ died for. They're not our sheep. They're his sheep. So the pathway to greatness is not self-serving power grabbing, lording it over others, exercising authority. Verse 25 the final phrase there, uh, don't think that those in church leadership, in your church, uh, they, they need to exercise authority, but don't, don't think that they're supposed to just command around. That's not the way of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said, to whom much has been given, much is required. Some of you I know are in leaderships in churches, leadership positions, and I say, be mindful of who your real leader is and lead like he led. Verse 26, it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to be great shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, he comes back to it. He's right back to the cross as he closes this little teaching. He started by announcing it for the third time, and now he says, I came not to exert greatness, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. I love that little phrase, a ransom for many. There's one God, the Bible says, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, A Ransom for Many a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you've ever wanted Pastor Scott's sermon library in the palm of your hand, we have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. 
Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app in either the Apple or Google App Stores. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. We don't know how many people, but this was the time of the Passover. And Jews from all over would come to Jerusalem. There's been estimates that there might have been two million people crammed into old Jerusalem. I mean, everybody came. This was really a public event, and the whole city was stirred, and they were asking, look at verse 10, who is this? Who is this? That, by the way, is the question. Who is this Jesus? I say it's the ultimate question. Who is this? Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Who Then Is This Jesus? Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.